All right, you might turn in your Bibles as Mr. Suarez comes forth to give our reading today to Psalm 18. Get yourselves ready for the reading in that way. And I'll get the pulpit cleared for him. Here we go. Thank you, sir. Psalm 18, please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. And darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. And the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place, he delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but wilt bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. 
For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet, for thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them. Even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. Then did I beat them small as the dust before the wind. I did cast them out as the dirt in the streets. Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people, and thou hast made me the head of the heathen, a people whom I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. The strangers shall fade away and be afraid out of their close places. The Lord liveth. And blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me, and subdueth the people under me. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and to his seed forevermore. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, the title of this psalm is instructive to us in many ways. First, in that we are reminded that the psalms are given for singing and praise of God's people. It says, to the chief musician, or for the director of music, as some translations will render it. Right? It's a psalm of David. Notice from this how uh, the writings of David take on a public place and significance in the praise and service of God. His song, or psalm, is given to the presenter of the sanctuary and tabernacle to lead the people of God in song with. The people are not left to their own songs, but they're provided with the songs of King David, the servant of the Lord. David, although he is king over Israel and his seeming height of position and victory above all his enemies round about him, he understands himself at best, the servant of the Lord. He is his minister, right, to do his bidding. We are also provided in the title the historical context, which is reproduced in 2 Samuel chapter 22, when, quote, the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul followed by chapter 23 in 2 Samuel, which begins with the words, quote, Now these be the last words of David. David, reaching towards the end of his life, he recounts, he's reflecting, right, on the deliverance which God has repeatedly granted him as the youngest son of Jesse, as a shepherd boy, as a combatant of Goliath, as a servant, musician, warrior, and son-in-law to King Saul, as the enemy of the Philistines, as one who flees from the king to the wilderness of Israel and is compared to a dead dog and flee, as a refugee in Gath and Ziklag, 
as undergoing the loss of wife and children for a time by the Amalekites, as king over Judea and Hebron, and so on, and so many more uh, instances and events that he can recount the deliverance of the Lord, that the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. He therefore says in verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The verb here, to love, is imperfect, meaning it is continuous and ongoing. Not, I have loved thee in times past, nor simply, I love thee today, but I will continue to love thee. David is tenderly affected and will so ever resolve to be towards the Lord Jehovah, who is, quote, my strength, he says. A moment ago, we have said that the psalm is intended for public usage, to be put in the mouth of God's people. Well, then we wonder why, why would he begin with a first-person singular pronoun, I, right? I will love thee, or the Lord is my rock. Well, it seems maybe in our minds it would be more appropriate to say, right, we love the Lord, or we will love thee, or the Lord is our rock. But that would be to misunderstand, to misunderstand the intention of David's position and relation to the people he is king over. Here, King David invites the people to praise the Lord with him and in him as the Lord's anointed. For all the deliverances which the Lord had done for David was in the end for the glory of God and the salvific good of his people. Promising to and through David in 2 Samuel 7, a house, a kingdom, a throne to be established forever. By this, of course, we understand that in David that he is a type of Christ, that the Lord our Father will not remove his mercy from him, Jesus Christ, and deliver him, he'll deliver him from all his enemies. And in response, Jesus Christ says to his Father, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And with what perfect love does our Savior, our King, express to his Father, and to which you, his people, are called to likewise express in him and to rejoice in the victories that the Lord our God has given to our King and grants to us in him. And so, as we proceed in this psalm, let us have one eye on David and the other eye on Christ. So Jehovah, in verse 2, is his strength, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his ever and ongoing trust, his buckler, his horn of salvation, his high tower, that this is applicable to Christ is confirmed to us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, where it's believed to be citing this verse, that, right, it's, I will trust in him, my strength in whom I will trust. In, there in Hebrews 13, Christ is represented as voluntarily exposing himself with these words in his mouth to the want and necessity, like those he has come to save, those he will call his brethren, he will for them as the captain of their salvation make God his ongoing and continuing trust. As John Calvin has so well remarked on this passage, that this ought to serve of great encouragement to us, to trust in God. For we have Christ as our leader and instructor, and who would fear to go astray while following in his steps? To the contrary, there is no danger that our trust should be useless when we have it in common with Christ, who we know that he and his trust and his confidence cannot be mistaken. And so, congregation, your trust and confidence must be toward God in and in no other but Christ. It is in his perfect and entire trusting of God, his Father, that we may find confidence for our own salvation and for our own deliverance. 
Verse 3, David writes that he will call upon the Lord as one who is worthy to be praised. We are directed here to call upon our God in Christ as one who is deserving of adoration and devotion. Our calling upon him must not be regarded as the calling of a master or boss towards his subjects and employees or the calling of parents to their children to fix or attend to something or the calling we as customers may do uh, towards a business or a handyman or contractor. Rather, the calling which must be found upon our lips and our souls into the Lord should be that of a servant, the servant of the Lord, or even as a son, even as the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the days of his flesh, Hebrews 5, 7, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. By the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Christ called upon the Lord as a servant and son, as one who had need to learn obedience for our sakes, as one who understood that salvation is of the Lord alone. Brothers and sisters, do your prayers unto God sound like our Savior's? Or are they often dull and come across indifferent as though there is really some hope and help to be found elsewhere? Or as though there is some other business to attend to that is more profitable? Rather, congregation, let your prayers be full-hearted, imitating our Savior, calling upon God as one who is worthy and deserving of our worshipful prayer. As your Heavenly Father, because of Christ, that because of Christ's prayers being answered, our prayer is not in vain. Having glorified God in general, from verse 1 to 3, David then writes of the salvation and rescue that God had been to him, verse 4 to 19. He is compassed and surrounded by, verse 4, the sorrows of death, the floods of ungodly men, the sorrows of hell or Sheol, in verse 5, the snares of death coming before him. He is made to be afraid, in verse 4, and is in distress, in verse 6. All of this did serve him for him, in verse 6, to call upon and cry out to the Lord Jehovah. Congregation, we have recourse, don't we? And an aid that the floods of ungodly men do not have in all of our anxieties and internal disruptions, that is to call upon the Lord and cry unto, quote, my God. Not just cry out to the God of the universe or God of Israel, but my God, my covenant faithful God. He is mine by covenant in Jesus Christ, and I am his, I have him as mine to call upon and cry out to as one of his own. We see in the same verse, the hearing of his prayer, he heard my voice out of his temple, that is out of his palace, out of heaven. And my cry came before him, even into his ears. Two observations on this. First, his voice God heard. While it is true that we can and ought to pray mentally, uh, and in a mental way throughout the day, as uh, we're in different engagements and circumstances, We ought also to give voice to our mind's thoughts when we pray, as we have opportunity and occasion, uh, reflecting that which we do internally with what we do externally as time and opportunity allow, so that we really do call and cry out to him with both our minds and mouths. We are both body and soul. 
Secondly, second observation, though the ears of all men seem closed to his petition and their minds turn from his favor, the Lord, by contrast, had his ears open for his call. And his mind was ready to help and deliver his servant and son. Let the world be joined in opposition to our greater David and his people. Thereby, the Lord God, our Father, has his ears open and a mind ready to be our help. Verse 7, then, through 15, describes for us the Lord's answer in an anthropopathic and poetic manner, coming to save his servant against his enemies. The earth and the foundations of the hills began to shake and tremble while smoke came out from the Lord's nostrils and fire out of his mouth in verse 7 through 8. In verse 9 through 11, he then caused the heavens to bow down with darkness under his feet and descendants riding upon a cherub, flying upon the wings of the wind with darkness like clouds surrounding him. Hailstones in verse 12 through 14 and coals of fire with thunder, lightning arrows come forth and blast of the breath of the Lord's nostrils ends up exposing the foundations of the world in verse 15. And then in verse 16 through 19, the beginning of 19, he tells us the result of his coming in favor of his servant. He took me. He drew me out in verse 16. He delivered me, verse 17. He was my stay, verse 18. He brought me forth into a large place. And why did he do this? At the end of verse 19, it says there, He delivered me because he delighted in me. Who am I, David said in 2 Samuel 7, And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? The answer he gives himself. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Who did God, uh, why did God deliver his servant? Well, it is out of his free love and pleasure to do so for David. It was the free love and pleasure of God to choose David to be his anointed and king over all his people, a type of the king of kings, to bring the Messiah through his own lineage and establish his rule and reign forever in Christ over his people, all sourced and rooted in the free love and pleasure of God. He delivered me because he delighted in me. But that is not all, recognizing that it was the free love and mercy of God to choose David to be his anointed and king over his people, to carry forth the Lord's cause in the earth. As a result, the floods of ungodly men conspired together, speaking and doing evil against him and his people. In this context, we understand verse 20 through 27, where David reflects upon God's deliverance in respect to his integrity. The Lord, verse 20, rewarded me according to my righteousness. Verse 21, I've kept the ways of the Lord, all his judgments, statutes. And in verse 23, I also, I was also upright before him and kept free from iniquity. The Lord appointed him to be who and what he was. And the commission he was to be about. And in response, he sought to render faithful obedience. Yes, an imperfect one so much as it concerns David, and a perfect one as it concerns Christ. But all in all, it is a service that the ungodly rebel against. It is a dominion they oppose. The enemies which David mentions in this psalm did not seek after David and oppose him to actively fulfill the prescriptive commands of God. No, rather, they did not delight in the law of God. And so much as David as the Lord's servant and king represented that, 
they stood against it. It is this righteousness which David will uphold, and the Lord vindicates against his enemies. If then you, congregation, brothers and sisters, have been brought to the visible kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's greater David, his servant and son, being brought by God's mere good love and pleasure, render then unto him a ready, an active, a free submission and obedience, and it will be a walking in that way that we may be comforted through any affliction for righteousness' sake. To know that in such times that our Lord, our God, sees, he hears, and he will recompense his people. Verse 25 then to 27 provides us with what has been regarded as a general law of divine administration. It says, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With a pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with a froward thou wilt show thyself froward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. That is, as one has said, that God is, in a certain sense, to men precisely what they are to him. This principle is reiterated by the Apostle James in the epistle, uh, chapter 4, 6 through 8. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. And then in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. What is the implication of all this? Would you like God's opposition and to have him as an enemy? If yes, then be proud. Think much about yourself and much about your carnal and temporal interest. Resist God's commandments, his rule. Go ahead and walk on over to the devil's playground. Take a step back from the ways and places where God draws nears unto his people and fill yourself up with much laughter and lightness here and now. But unto the rest, study to behave yourself as one has said toward God and man for God's cause. For with the bountiful, merciful, upright, and pure, he will deal accordingly. Well, from this general principle, he reasons to his own case and assures himself of future deliverance in verse 28, saying, For thou will light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And in verse 29 to 42, it is understood here that David considers himself no longer as the passive object of God's mercy and deliverance, but now as the active instrument of it. The Lord causes him to run through a troop and leap over a wall. In verse 29, he girdeth me with strength, maketh my way perfect. My my feet like hinds feet setteth me upon high places. In verse 34, he teacheth my hands to war. A bow of steel is broken in my arms. David has the shield of his salvation. He is held up in God's right hand. His steps are enlarged in verse 36, pursuing his enemies and overtaking them, beginning in verse 37, consuming, wounding, subduing, destroying, beating, and casting them out as the dirt in the streets, definitively to verse 42. And then we reach the end, beginning at verse 43, with an encouragement from these deliverances that the Lord will establish and further not only his defense of him, his kingship and his kingdom, but also the increase and expansion of his dominion over the whole earth. Verse 43, Thou hast made me the head of the heathen, a people whom I have not known shall serve me. Well, of the heathen which would serve David, 
upon subduing them, you can read in first places like First Chronicles chapter 18 through 19. But if I may borrow the language of the Apostle Peter in his Pentecost sermon of Acts chapter 2, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. The extent which he spoke by inspiration of the heathens serving him it did not reach its thorough fulfillment in David. Nor did that external Jewish dominion as it existed in David's day remain the same long thereafter. But as God was pleased to make David a type of that greater David, of the servant of the Lord and the king of kings, his son, we find this thorough fulfillment in Jesus Christ and establishing, expanding of his kingdom upon the whole earth. As James will say in Acts chapter 15, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. It is this greater David whom we fully envision, giving thanks unto God in verse 49, among the heathen. David understood this, for he says in verse 50, that the great deliverance, mercy, and salvation he had shown to David as his anointed he would perpetuate according to promise to his seed forevermore. Well, that ends our time together in Psalm 18.